0: I'm U.S. Senator Debbie
3: Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey,
4: good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk about uh, uh, clean energy jobs with uh, a um, person who works in uh, solar energy and is a member of the... Uh, Great Lakes Renewable Energy Association. Ken Zabara is his name. And uh, before that, in the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with author and illustrator of *Except Antarctica*. Todd Sturgill will be joining us. Uh, but first, and this is kind of a guilty pleasure for me because uh, he, you know my slogan: uh, we like to encourage people to think and not tell them what to think on this show. We're going to be talking with um, Andy Norman, who directs the Humanism Initiative at Carnegie Mellon University. He has a new book called Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. And he joins me now by phone. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure, privilege to be here. Um, Andy, what's the difference between an infectious idea and a mind parasite? Uh, I would
5: say, argue that there is no difference between those things. So, um, here's one way to think about it. Um, We know that parasites can invade our bodies, uh, create copies of themselves, sometimes induce our bodies to spread those copies to other bodies, and, and the parasites that we worry about, of course, are the ones that are harmful to our bodies. Now, if you look at the properties of bad ideas, especially the infectious ones, they check all the boxes. They can invade our minds. They can manipulate our minds into creating copies of themselves. They can uh, induce us to spread those ideas to other minds. And bad ideas, of course, are harmful to us almost by definition. So it seems to me that if we use a principled approach to categorizing things as parasites Um, we have to acknowledge that mind parasites have been with us uh, for as long as humanity has existed it's just that they've been flying under the radar Uh, of course we've been calling them bad ideas but basically they've been hiding in plain sight
4: you know it's uh, i'm reminded when i contemplate your book of uh, <laughs> a saying I heard once that just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. <laughs> uh, um, yes. What about the difference between um, actual um, facts and plausible facts?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Things that seem to be true yeah, or yeah, but because but without being really you know there yeah. right now we're wrestling with that um there've been some i don't know some some navy videos released of uh yeah. ufos and that's that's been a favorite conspiracy theory for decades exactly. um and and you know as it becomes plausible when you see bits of information that appear to come from credible sources that there might be something mm-hmm. to it um, it, it becomes more
5: plausible, but, but is it true? Uh, that's exactly the right question to ask, Tom. Um, so it, it, many of the most harmful parasites um, uh, manage to pass as harmless. So they, they can pass underneath our body's immune system's radar, so to speak, and thereby cause our health enormous problems. Now, the, the most worrisome ideas, actually, um, some, some of them mimic good ideas or pass as good ideas, fly under the radar of our mind's immune systems and actually hijack our minds. So um, conspiracy theories are, are a sort of a prime example of this kind of thing. So your mind can become infected with a conspiracy theory and then when any new evidence comes along that would cast doubt upon the conspiracy theory, uh, a a lot of times your mind's immune system will overreact to the real evidence and attack it as a threat, thereby protecting the conspiracy theory. So, So our minds have these very complex systems for spotting and removing bad ideas. But they can get confused about which ideas are the good ones and which one which ideas are the bad ones they can attack the wrong information and leave your mind sort of out of touch with reality um which of course leaves us with the question you po- so well posed right which is how do you tell the difference between a good idea and a bad idea
4: well yeah or, i'm the fact and a, you know the u.s yeah. is uh, a pretty well stocked pond when it comes Fishing for conspiracy theories. In fact, I <laughs> yeah. I, I interviewed a um, uh, an author who was uh, originally from Siberia. He was working in London, and he'd written a book about Russian conspiracy theories. But in our conversation, he bowed to the U.S. as the greatest of yeah. conspiracy theorists. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And and having so much more of a love affair with conspiracy theories, but mm-hmm. let's let's talk about some of the stuff. And it and it's it's fun to make fun of that. But when did Americans, as a a culture, start losing its
5: grasp of disbelief? Yeah. Uh, so in in my book, I argue that. In America, we've been neglecting and abusing our mental immune systems for decades. Um, and in fact, I think you can trace the roots back centuries. Um, so, for example, uh, the idea that, that we in America, we have liberty of conscience, that goes back to our nation's founding. But it's been interpreted in recent decades as the idea that everyone is entitled to their opinion. Now, this idea is... Fine as a way to guard against thought police, as a way of guarding against government control of our thoughts. Um, But it's also an excuse for indulging in irresponsible thinking and believing. Um, And we've become a a culture that feels entitled to our opinion no matter what, no matter how irresponsible, no matter how based on disinformation, no matter how... um, rooted it is in wishful thinking we feel entitled and and in the same way that an entitled kid becomes spoiled an entitled culture becomes decadent and 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 we play we've ignored our cognitive responsibilities we insist on our cognitive rights we ignore our cognitive responsibilities and in conditions like that bad ideas flourish our mental immune systems can't function well under such conditions so many many very smart people get I mean it's fun to kind of talk about how dumb people are on the other side of the political spectrum well yeah just just read a Facebook uh, thread well exactly you've got people (laughs) on the left saying that people on the right are dumb and people on the right saying people on the left are dumb Um, and the fact is you don't have to be dumb to be uh, to have your mind's immune system um, become dysfunctional in really worrisome ways. There are very, very bright, capable, clever people in, this, in our culture today who have been essentially snookered or played either by conspiracy theorists or by propagandists or by would-be demagogues. Um, and until we understand how mental immune systems work and how we can prevent them from failing and how we can make them work better, we're going to remain vulnerable to these epidemics of unreason um, that are presented one of the biggest challenges I think our, our species faces in this new new millennium. You know I'm, I'm fascinated
4: by the concept of mental immunity and and also um, I can't help thinking uh, and, and responsibility you know cognitive responsibility and, and we spend a lot of time um, on, on both of the si- both sides of the uh, moron aisle, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, blaming the spreaders of misinformation, yeah. social media, the media, entertainment, all of these you know politics, all of these different places. There's uh, the, that great uh, line about the two politicians that are yelling at each other and one says to the other are you lying to me and he says yeah but hear me out um, <laughs> you know the, the the thing that i i can't help wondering is have we over a period of time sort of given up our mental immunity um not yeah. not to become cynics but at the very least skeptics and and say yeah, something doesn't sound
5: right about this. Yeah, um, and, and I think there's, there's a, we have a cartoon the, on the left, uh, we have a kind of a cartoon image of what's wrong with the way people on the right conduct their cognitive affairs. We, we, we tend to think of people on the right as just not thinking critically, as not critical enough, um, as too trusting of, you know, receive orthodoxies or things like that. But the situation is actually much more complicated. Um, And just as you can be too trusting of dysfunctional orthodoxies, you can be too suspicious for your own good. So um, I myself was once uh, played by my own mental immune system. I was raised in a family that practically worshipped Martin Luther King. Um, And later, when I heard that Martin Luther King was a serial philanderer, someone who was consistently unfaithful to Coretta Scott, his, his wife, my immediate reaction, my mind immediately generated a conspiracy theory. I was like, oh, I bet J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI um, created these rumors to smear King. That was my mind's immune system generating an alternative fact. Um, it wasn't true. I, I mean, the, origi- the information that he was a Flander is true. But my mind was rejecting the good information because it threatened something that was almost sacred to me. And you, all of us fall prey to this kind of mistake.
4: You know, Andy, I, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that you use the phrase alternative fact. I think you're the first person who's ever used it correctly on my show. And okay. um, and, and and it's interesting to hear somebody with some credibility refer to the the possibility that that there are alternative facts, if we understand them to be what they are. Andy, I, I'm thrilled by this conversation, and, and it's going by so fast. I have to take Thanks. a break here. Can you right. st- can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Of course, wouldn't miss it. Great. My uh, my guest is. Um, Andy Norman, he directs the Humanism Initiative at Carnegie Mellon University. His new book is called Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. We're going to take a uh, short break right here, but we're going to talk some more with Andy after we let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in. Or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com. We have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We will be right back.
5: Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. woo <laughs>
6: hoo
7: where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my uh, conversation with the author of a new book called Mental Immunity. He is uh, Andy Norman from Carnegie Mellon University, and he's uh, with me by phone. Andy, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that.
5: That's quite all right.
4: Andy, in the last segment, um, you talked about a uh, conspiracy theory that you conjured up on your own. How do we prevent ourselves from filling in the the information
5: gaps. Yeah, so one thing to know uh, and to understand is that the questions and doubts are the antibodies of the mind. So when new information comes to our attention, especially information that uh, is vaguely or even more ominously threatening, our minds mobilize doubt to try to neutralize that new information. But here's the thing. Sometimes that new information is actually good information and sometimes we need to learn from it. And so we need to make sure that our doubts don't, don't overreact to good information and, uh, and thereby, uh, prevent us from learning. Uh, there's a there's a joke where Fred the flat earther dies and goes to heaven and he marches into God's inner sanctum and says God I've always I've been a flat earther my whole life tell me uh, is the world flat or is it round and God says I'm sorry to say Fred but the earth is very round and Fred looks at God and said this conspiracy goes higher than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and we all the laugh, way to right? the top, yeah. right? We, and we laugh, right, because we know that Fred's mind's immune system has kicked into uh, hyperdrive there, and he's and it's rejecting even information that is, at least for the sake of, of the joke, reliable. Right, about as reliable as you can get on, on the God hypothesis, at least. But how do we?
4: You know, that's. Uh, the real problem that we face now is that uh, a lot of misinformation comes from
5: sources that we consider reliable. That's exactly right. And and earlier you mentioned uh, you know people who are are spreading misinformation on the internet. I think there there's a there's some re- really interesting new research on this, and there are many people who pass on misinformation or disinformation unwittingly. But it turns out that uh, there are a relatively small number of people who are actively peddling misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories because they've found that they can get wealthy doing this. These people are playing us, and they're playing us by, number one, um, uh, hijacking, well, taking advantage of our gullibility in some cases, but in other cases by actually hijacking our mental immune systems and making us overreact to good, reliable information sources. So last night I was talking to a friend who's basically been convinced by the right-wing media that the Washington Post is part of a deep, deep conspiracy. Right. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. He's part of the mainstream media. He's the Washington Post systematically deludes Americans. I mean, these are fears, fear-based suspicions that have have spiraled away from reality. And they're misleading. Ten, at this point, we know tens of millions of Americans share these fears. And their thinking is so governed by fear that they've forgotten, that, that they, can, they can no longer distinguish between fact and fiction. You
4: know, it, it's been troubling to me over the last, at least decade maybe a couple of decades to see news reporting become more and more opinionated Mm -hmm. you know there used to be a time you'd turn on Huntley Brinkley or Walter Cronkite and you could be reasonably comfortable in the notion that they had checked the information out they
5: were sharing and that it was probably fact-based mm-hmm and right from the Walter Cronkite phase of American media, right when many he was the most trusted person in American media, right? Um,
4: yeah, who who's filling that role now? I I can't I can't think of a person who comes to mind. There are people yeah. who try to play the role. There are news anchors at the major networks, and um, you know they're they're most watched news on television and so on. But how do we? How do we train ourselves to
5: be our own fact checkers? Yeah, so so part of what I want to say about this, you know, what's happened between now and the Walter Cronkite era of American media and politics uh, is that trust and trustworthiness can create a virtuous spiral. So the more people are reliable and careful and trustworthy, in the messages they spread, the more trusting audiences can become. And and that loop, that feedback loop, can lead us all to a much healthier, more trusting, more civil uh, society. But there's also a, a negative spiral uh, where people start to spread disinformation or misinformation. People start to become more suspicious. Um, and that cycle can spiral uh, us Away from from collective cultural health, and, and right now partisanship is so high in America uh, that there's serious doubts now that uh, whether American democracy will survive. Um, well,
4: it's it's particularly frightening when there are, um, you know, it's it's almost half and half with the people who believe that the 2020 election. Um, was so, fixed, you know, and and uh, that the results are not true, and
5: that's a lot of people to get it wrong. It is, and and honestly, Tom, I I mean, for for decades, I've been tempted to use language like the system is rigged, um, and when I use when I've used that term in the past, it's because I have. And really unhappy with the way in which moneyed interests sort of control the national well there's probably too strong a word but
4: there's there's a riff about the supreme court andy that says if uh, if they vote in your favor they're interpreting the constitution if they vote against you it's an activist
5: court (laughs) yeah right and and that's an example of what a psychologist called uh, motivated reasoning so it turns out we all but when we come when we what we tend to do is reason until we get the conclusion we want and then we stop asking questions that, that's what most of us do most of the time and it's a recipe you can easily see how that might be a recipe for, for uh, co- cognitive dysfunction um, but it requires an active effort to, to mitigate you have, we have to mitigate our motiva- our inclination to reason in motivated ways. We actually have to welcome unwelcome challenges because, uh, and we have to welcome potentially disruptive information in order to continue learning to actively combat our taste for wishful thinking and convenient political truths or mistruths.
4: How much has pop culture damaged our mental immune system um and 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 i'm and i'm thinking of for example um and this is purely for example and the first thing i could think of is the television show big bang theory where there are these um geniuses who believe and 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 sort of um implement their own morality Based on sci-fi movies and comic books. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the show and have enjoyed it. It's uh, it's fun, but d- don't we let our guard down when we suspend
5: disbelief? Yeah. Um, so I, I think an important part of thinking is suspending judgment and gathering evidence. Uh... And when we find ourselves in the midst of a culture war, we tend to want to just jump in and start fighting back, and we don't take the time to just suspend judgment, take a step back, and think clearly and in a fair-minded way. Um, psychologists say that so you've you've heard of the, the fight or flight response. Yeah. When when we're when we perceive a threat, our our nervous systems kick into a special mode called fight-or-flight mode. It's, it, it happens when a part of the brain called the amygdala basically says, I'm taking control here, and it cuts off our higher-order thinking and basically says, I'm going to pump all the blood to the muscles so that we can flee or fight, and I'm going to basically shut off <laughs> blood to your, your higher reasoning function. Now, when that happens, when we perceive threat, we stop reasoning in a judicious way. We start reasoning in a, in a combative way. And the way to get off that treadmill is to slow down our thinking, calm our minds, remind ourselves that this information isn't necessarily a threat. Maybe it's an opportunity to learn. Um, and to reason in the way that Nobel Prize winning psychologist Dan, Daniel Kahneman says, reason to think slowly. When we think fast, in order to escape a threat, we miss all kinds of things and, we're, and we reason in unfair ways. When we think slowly and judiciously and listen to the reasons pro and con, we begin to become wiser. How we right th- now our culture has forgotten how to reason in wisely and everybody's in cleverness mode. Very yeah. few people are in wisdom mode.
4: Yeah, I think of um, you know some of the... Uh, things that I see on, uh, on Facebook, for example, um, some of the, the memes. And in, in some cases, people are using as uh, foundation for a belief. Something that's been written by someone else it, it's it's a, a way of of including a- attribution as evidence of your argument. Yeah. but we don't know that the author of the original comment had it right to begin with. how do we yeah. how do we separate facts from opinion? like like with an election, for example, mm-hmm. you count the votes, the one with the more votes wins.
5: Yeah. Um, And I find I fall prey to this, too, right? I I come across an article that looks like it supports my political inclinations. I assume that it comes from a trustworthy source. And so I repost it or I share it with friends. And sometimes without even reading the article or, you know, checking my checking the underlying facts. What I'm really doing there is I'm signaling coalitional loyalty. I'm basically saying, yeah, I'm a progressive. And and I'm going to Prove my progressive credentials by sharing this article, which supports a progressive worldview. Um, those aren't my better moments, right? I'm, when, when we pass on, when we broadcast information to advertise that, to promote our standing within a coalition, we're not actually doing the responsible thing. What we're doing is we're basically trying to burnish our reputation in it, within an in-group, often by demonizing an out-group. And that's a recipe for civic unrest and, and suspicion and, and a culture war that could ultimately tear our society apart. So I try now not to repost stuff on, on Facebook or Twitter until I've double-checked that it's truly reliable. Uh, and I think all of us need to develop that kind of habit. Well, I, I I have
4: I have to admit, Andy, I have shared on occasion the meme that says uh, you can't believe everything you read on the internet, signed Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I love it. I and, and which, I I can't resist that one. <laughs> well,
5: and, and it reminds me of my favorite bumper sticker, which says, "Don't believe everything you think." Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And but of course, y- y- your meme has irony going for it, which just makes it even better. I think.
4: Well, um, and and it it also invites you to consider that. Maybe because it has a trusted name attached doesn't mean
5: that it's real. Mm-hmm. That's right, and of course, if you know anything about history and uh, Abraham's Lincoln's position relative to the invention of the internet, you get the joke, right? But otherwise, you might <laughs> spread it <laughs> unwittingly.
4: Yeah, he, he he first became aware of it while he was sitting at the airport. Um, <laughs> there, we go. there, there are so many of those things and we could spend a lot of time having fun with just some of the most outrageous things that have been floated. Um, and, and sometimes they're, they're misstatements. Sometimes they're deliberately, um, peddling misinformation. But the, the thing is, how do we, is, is there, is there a vaccine uh, to make our minds immune or steps to, um,
5: to thinking better. That, that that's, I think a, a beautiful question. Uh, and I think the answer uh, is yes. Uh, in the book, I argue that the famous Socratic method is one of the most powerful mind inoculants ever invented. Basically, uh, Socrates was an ancient Greek philosopher who would wander the streets of Athens and test ideas with questions. And when an idea couldn't withstand questioning, he'd basically say, well, so much for that idea. And he'd wander away scratching his head saying, well, I guess we have a lot to learn still. And in the process of doing this, he'd induce humility in the people listening to his conversations. And I think we all need to do that more. We need to have the kind of conversations where we test ideas openly and honestly open to the possibility that we might have to rethink things and we need to be willing to suspend judgment, look at the reasons pro and con and let go of the beliefs that don't withstand scrutiny. So uh, that's a mind inoculant. Uh, In the book, I actually say we can take this mind inoculant to the next level in the same way that immunologists take naturally occurring inoculants and refine them into vaccines we can take the Socratic method and refine it into a very powerful mind vaccine. So that's what I try to do in the closing chapters of the book. Um, Those books can, those chapters can get, get kind of heavy. So let me offer a kind of a quick and dirty how to manual. You know, if you want to strengthen your own mind's immune system, here are some of the things you can do. Uh, First realize that questions and doubts are antibodies of the mind. Learn to listen to them. They're almost always trying to flag something important. Learn to listen to them. Learn to learn from them. Uh, but don't assume that your doubts are, don't take them at face value either. Sometimes our minds generate unrealistic, unre- unreasonable doubts. Um, so you actually have to look into the grounds of your, of your doubts and your suspicions just as we have to look into the grounds of our beliefs and our ideas. Second thing that's really important is don't think of reasoning as a, as a mechanism for protecting your beliefs. When you start reasoning in a prosecutorial style to defend the views you have, you stop learning and, and your mind's immune system starts to go haywire. Always reason to find out Never reason to win, and Never and I've reasons,
4: and and I've shared yeah. that thought, um, not exactly in those words, but I've always uh, maintained that you have to listen to other points of view
5: in order to learn anything. Absolutely, and a lot of times, other people with different points of view can spot mind parasites that that you that are invisible to you so uh the only way i can spot i mean a whole bunch of my mind parasites i i can't see them as the mind parasites they are so i have to talk to other people and listen to their objections to actually learn which of my own ideas aren't serving me well Uh, so i have to learn I'll help you spot your mind of parasites, Tom. You help me spot mine, and we can become wiser together. But if we become suspicious and reject each other's objections out of hand before we even hear them, um, we end up just lonely, isolated, bitter, and suspicious.
4: You know, uh, we were talking about Abraham Lincoln's kind of joking around a little bit earlier, but allegedly he was pressed by a, uh, a journalist for having changed his position on something, essentially being called a Uh flip-flopper. And his response was, I like to think I'm a little smarter today than I was yesterday. Beautiful. Beautiful. And and I think what you just described, Andy, is the essence of civil discourse.
1: Yes.
4: Two people bring different perspectives and and maybe even different information to the table at the end of the conversation there
5: should be greater knowledge for both and and I like to talk about shared understanding Uh, for 30 years I've I've led philosophical discussions on some of the most divisive issues facing humanity And I always charge my students in my classes, I say, look, I've got many different points of view on on the matter of what justice is. But by the end of this next hour, I want us all to have a deeper shared understanding than we have here at the outset. And for 30 years, I, I learned, I tried to fine tune my method for facilitating those constructive dialogue, that kind of constructive dialogue. And I learned a whole bunch from my students in the process. And I think, In my book, I try to say my students taught me a bunch of things that our culture needs right now, and we need to rediscover how to have fruitful dialogue. So that was both my practice in my classrooms and also my research specialty. I actually study how dialogue works and how we can make it work better. Andy, I can't believe how fast the time
4: is going. I'm having such a wonderful time talking with you, and this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. The book is called Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. And, um... My guest, Andy Norman, uh, directs the Humanism Initiative at Carnegie Mellon University. He studies how ideologies short-circuit minds and corrupt moral understanding. Andy, as as we get close to the end of our time here, um, I always like to let guests share with listeners where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a good place to start. But do you have a website where people can learn more about you and your work,
5: past, present, and future? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, so, a lot of my work is up on uh, andynorman.org. Um, you can learn about the book there. You can learn about some of my research, and uh, and many of and links to many of my podcasts and radio, radio appearances appear there also. So, if you'd like to learn more, that's a good place to start. You can also sort of follow the, my journey as an author into this as I try to share these ideas with the world and build a, uh, build a movement to, to inoculate minds <laughs> uh, by following me on Facebook, uh, Andy Norman Author at Facebook.
4: Well, I'm for that because I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say this, this world sure has gone crazy. That's certainly my impression <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, Andy, thanks again, and um, keep up the good work I, I, I hope we get a chance to talk again
5: i, I would I would very much like that Tom All Thanks right. thanks for having me on the show. Take care
4: again, that was uh, Andy Norman, author of uh, Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. Um, he is. Uh, he directs the Humanism Initiative at Carnegie Mellon University where he studies how, I, I, how ideologies short-circuit minds and corrupt moral understanding and, and much more. Anyway, we're going to take a short break and uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do if you're streaming us. We have some messages as well.
8: Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
3: I'd like to have an argument,
6: please. Certainly, sir. Have you been here before?
3: No, I haven't. This is my first time.
6: I see. Well, do you want to have just one argument, or were you thinking of taking a course?
3: Well, what is the cost?
6: Well, it's one pound for a five-minute argument, but only eight pounds for a course of ten.
3: Well, I think it would be best if I perhaps started off with just the one and then see how it goes.
6: Fine. Well, I'll see who's free at the moment. Uh, Mr. DeBakey's free, but he's a little bit conciliatory. Ah, yes. Try Mr. Barnard, room 12. Thank you.
3: you want? Well, I was told outside that... Don't give me that, you snotty-faced heap of parrot droppings. What? Shut your festering gob, you tit! Your type really makes me puke, you vacuous, coffee-nosed, malodorous pervert! Look, I came here for an argument. I'm not going to just... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, but this is abuse. Oh, I see. Well, that explains... Oh, yes. You want room 12A just along the corridor. Oh, thank you very much. Sorry. Not at all. (laughs) Thank you. Stupid kid. Come in. Uh, is this the right room for an argument? I told you once. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. I did. You didn't. You did. didn't. I'm telling you I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, just one moment. Um, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? Oh, just the uh, five minutes. Ah, thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Look, let's get this thing clear. I quite definitely told you. No, you did not. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you, didn't. Yes, I did. you didn't. did. Well, look, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. It is. It is not. Look, you just contradicted me. I did not. Oh, you did. No, no, no. You did just then. Nonsense. Oh, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. No, you came here for an argument. Well, an argument isn't just contradiction. It can be? No, it can't. An argument is a connected series of statements intended to establish a proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It's not just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. Yes, but that's not just saying. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Argument is an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic gainsaying of any statement the other person makes. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Not at all. No, look. Not... Good morning. What? That's it. Good morning. I was just getting interested. Sorry, five minutes is up. That was never five minutes. I'm afraid it was. It wasn't. I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, I'll have to pay for another five minutes. Yes, but that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. Oh, all right. Thank you. Well? Well, what? That wasn't really five minutes just now. I told you, I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. Uh, Look, I don't want to argue about it. Well, you didn't pay. Uh Aha. If I didn't pay, why are you arguing? I've got you. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. If you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. I could be arguing in my spare time. Oh, I've had enough of this. No, you haven't. Oh, shut up. I want to complain. You want to complain. Look at these shoes I've had them three weeks and the heels are worn right through. No, I want to complain. If about... you complain, nothing happens. You might as well not bother. Oh, I'm a backer, and we're having a fine day, and I'm sick and tired of this office. Hello, I want to. Oh, no, no, no! Hold your head like this, go, Wow! Try it again. Oh! Better, better, but wow, wow Put your hand there No, no. Ah! Good, that's it Stop hitting me what? Stop hitting me Stop hitting you Yes Why would you come here then? I wanted to complain Oh, no, that's next door It's being hit on the head lessons in here What a stupid concept
5: Dennis Ford, Dennis Ford is nothing
8: This
0: was another comedy spotlight On the Tom Sumner programme
8: Sunday, I have known for quite a while, but you'll find out one day, you think you're doing good, living high on the hog, you ain't fooling no one but the dog, he's the only one that don't know what you're up to, he's the only one not ready to turn his back on
1: I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me The death of me i risk a trip To the grocery store To buy a teepee And a few things more But when I get there All I can find Is sixteen honey buns And some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Oak job, Hill And we just lay here On the couch And watch TV Whew, I'd rather volunteer For a high risk Commando raid To parachute Into Wuhan And find that little Fella that ordered That mat soup I know I'm talking Out of my head Saying crazy stuff Over and over Like Yes dear Yes dear At breakfast I meant to say Honey please pass me The pepper What slipped out Was You crazy woman You've ruined my life <laughs> Of course, I immediately apologize (laughs) as soon as I regained consciousness. (laughs) Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Tom Sumner, Program.com time summer program.com The time
8: summer Program.com
1: You pilots get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.